0: Hey, just a few announcements before we get started. The giveaway that I've been hosting for the $500 Impact Investing Prize Pack uh, is now closed. I hope you got your entry in. Um, I'll be announcing the winner of the giveaway at the beginning of the next episode, so stay tuned for that. And if you've won, I will obviously reach out to you directly and let you know. Uh, A couple other things. Impact Assets is now accepting applications for their top 50 impact fund managers for 2022 each year they publish a list of the top impact funds across a variety of categories. So if you're running an impact fund, you probably want to consider uh, submitting uh, your application for that. And even if you're a new fund manager and don't have a long track record yet, they have a category for emerging managers where there's actually not a requirement that you even have a track record yet. So they'll look at kind of how you're establishing what your kind of metrics and targets are. Um, but then they also have categories for experienced fund managers. Um, so you um, you can either Google that or look for a link to the application portal in the next newsletter. Also two interesting job opportunities I've come across. One is with uh, Gender Smart, uh, which is led by Gender Lens investing expert, Suzanne Beagle. So it's a cool opportunity if for no other reason than getting to work with her. Um, it's a part-time role. They're looking for somebody who can provide um, uh, administration, uh, data management, coordination of projects, uh, help them liaise, uh, between internal and external partners at GenderSmart. And, um, GenderSmart is a global field building initiative. It's just dedicated to unlocking the deployment of strategic, impactful gender smart capital at scale, which basically means you're gonna help them drive more capital into gender smart investments and build the whole field of, of gender lens investing. And it's a remote position, uh, ideally for somebody, I think they're looking for somebody based in Imeo, which is Europe, the Middle East, or Asia. Uh, the second job opportunity I came across is with the SVX in Toronto. And the SVX is a platform that helps uh, impact investors uh, find and make impact investments. And they are hiring for a full-time role based in Toronto for a platform and data specialist who will provide technology and operational management of their platform plus help them manage their data, metrics, and their internal technology systems. So you can find links for those job postings and everything I've mentioned here in the next newsletter. If you're not already signed up to the newsletter, you should be. I I send a lot of information there that I don't talk about in the announcements all the time, and it's kind of the main way I communicate with um, those who are interested in upping their impact investment game. So you can visit impactinvesting.how. That's H-O-W. To sign up for the newsletter. With that, let's get on to it. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Mining is an inherently challenging industry from an impact perspective, since it's all about the removal and consumption of the Earth's limited natural resources. The manner in which we have historically mined these resources have caused great harm to people, communities, and our planet. At the same time, our existence, at least as it stands today, absolutely depends on mining to provide everything from the minerals we use in virtually all of our toiletries, from makeup, vitamins, toothpaste, soap, and the fertilizer we use to grow our food, to the metals we use for essential necessities like cars, buildings, roads, mobile phones, and medical equipment. Plus, mining is a massive industry that contributes greatly to wealth creation for an exceedingly large number of people globally. In Canada, nearly 700,000 people work either directly or indirectly in mining and receive the highest average wage or salaries of any industry in the country. Since it isn't possible in the foreseeable future to stop mining entirely, it seems abundantly clear that we need to shift our focus to both reducing the demand for these precious natural resources and to mining more sustainably. Enter today's guest, Elizabeth Friel, co-founder and managing partner at Simpact Advisory based in Vancouver, Canada. Liz is a passionate social sustainability strategist and futurist entrepreneur Who has supported everything from pre seed to mature enterprises in challenging operational environments across the Americas, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East? She holds an MBA from IE Business School, a certificate in Sustainable Business Strategy from Harvard Business School, and a BA in Political Science and Global Development from Western University. Liz and her colleagues at Simpact work with companies to improve their social performance to foster both company and community resilience. Given Liz's long background in the mining industry, the organization has quickly established a stronghold with clients in that industry. In today's episode, I sit down with Liz to flesh out the nuances of the ESG impacts of the mining industry and the practical opportunities for improving its sustainability. During the episode, we discuss the state of mining today, just how dependent we are on the industry, the most harmful practices that need to end, how mining companies can do better, and which organizations she sees as leaders in the space, and be sure to stay tuned to the very end when Liz discusses her views on where is, there is the most opportunity for impact investing in mining. With that, let's get on to the podcast. Before we get started here, I just have to apologize. Partway through the track, my audio gets a little distorted. I hit a setting during recording, and uh, the volume was just far too loud. So you'll get some distortion partway through this episode. I apologize and. Hopefully you can bear to listen to me. So, Liz, welcome
1: to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here, David.
0: Yeah. So let's start. Give everybody a quick intro to who you are and what you're working on.
1: Sure. So my name is Liz Friel. I am the co-founder and managing partner of Simpac Advisory. We are a think tank and social sustainability advisory firm. We're very focused on the mining industry, which I know is a little uh, unconventional for this podcast.
0: Yeah, I was going to say there was some cognitive dissonance I experienced when we met because you're focused on the mining industry. And from the outside, from an ESG perspective, the extractive industries get a bad rap. Oftentimes it's well-deserved. But I think for those of us who aren't in the industry, we maybe don't see some of the great work that actually is being done. And so I'm excited to dive into this with you. Can you tell us a little bit more about Sympact advisory and the types of clients you work with and the type of work that you do for them?
1: So it's fairly broad. We worked with larger mining companies and in the junior space, something that I'm quite passionate about is trying to get in as early as possible. A lot of the problems that we see, particularly around social performance with the mining industry, can be prevented if you get things right at the time that you are building the foundation, so at the junior exploration phase. And so one of the juiciest challenges for me is getting in with these junior guys, mm-hmm. which is it's quite a different than the larger mid-tier operators, the kind of, I guess, mining company names that the average person outside of industry might know. We work a bit with them, but not all that much, just because I feel like the opportunity for impact and getting it right from the beginning is far greater if you can get in at the point where relationships are first being made with community, with host government, and so on and so forth. And so we help mining companies broadly on their ESG journey, helping to understand what does true integration mean, and particularly how to navigate the way that societal expectations are so rapidly changing around business performance in society Mm. all over the world.
0: And is there something about mining industry in particular that makes it, I think generally speaking, it's probably easier to start with a company that's earlier in its evolution if you have less change to enact, but is there something particular about mining that makes it a bit more beneficial to start earlier?
1: Um, I think it's more around what are the impacts, both positive and negative, that happen in the earlier phases. So even something like uh, project design. So when you identify a deposit, for example, there are different ways, and I'm not a geologist, I'm not a metallurgist, I'm not an engineer, but there are different ways that one can design a project. And for example, by bringing in local community and host governments, so on and so forth, other stakeholders into the project design phase, there are negative impacts that can be avoided and that can there are positive impacts that can be created. So a good example of that, say, would be around local procurement and local hiring. Those are really big local social impacts on the positive side, uh, and a lot of the time people aren't thinking about that until too late. Particularly if you don't have the skills that you necessarily need in the immediate area at the time when those jobs exist. But if XYZ jobs are coming down the line, or uh, ABC procurement needs are coming as we enter the operations phase, you can work with local businesses. You can local work with local folks that are entrepreneurial and maybe don't have businesses yet. And by doing that, you can have an awful lot more sharing of the positive economic impacts at a local level particularly in emerging economy contexts. a lot of the mineral resources around the world are focused in more developing countries and so the opportunity to harness that type of business by virtue of being in more remote areas mineral resources we're not looking for deposits underneath big urban areas they tend to exist virgin deposits or even brownfields tend to exist in more rural and remote areas Uh, and so the opportunity to leverage the fact that this business is coming, this business is, is going to be developed. It's huge, it's huge. Uh, and that's specific to industries mm-hmm. that are geographically constrained. You can't just up and move your plant the way, for example, like a textile or, mm-hmm. or tech company could. Your entire business model it prem- is premised mm-hmm. on the natural resource beneath your feet which also mm. means yeah, it's, that's, that's it's really particularly high risk. We talk about being in like a broad crisis of trust around the world. Business is struggling with trust in society in recent years. And that is very real. Mining's been dealing with that for an awful lot longer already. That's not new to the mining industry. The social license to operate is the number one mm. risk in this industry. The number one reason why mines don't come to fruition is around societal acceptability. Consent from local communities, permitting mm. from host governments. So there's a, a really juicy challenge there that I'm really passionate about.
0: So we're going to unpack a little bit the social license to operate as we go through <laughs> here. Would, do you have a? Because it sounds like something you're passionate about. I've heard you reference that uh, yeah. before. Are you? But at a high level, so you work a lot with mining firms. Do you work in other industries? Uh,
1: yeah, hundred percent. The reason that we get, keep getting pulled back into mining is that the challenges are really frontier, the opportunities for impact are great. There is oftentimes great will um, and great human capacity. There's a lot of really bright people in that industry, but there isn't a lot of social impact talent. Right, and so mm-hmm. that's that's why I keep getting. And this is a lifelong story for me. This is not specific to Simpact Advisory. I keep getting pulled back to mining, even though it drives me crazy. And in the same way, the <laughs> cognitive dissonance that you described there at the beginning of the of this call, I experience profoundly, and I experience continually from time to time. I get frustrated. And, you, know, we, for all the progress that is made, we continue to see horrible things happen again and again. And that sets back not just an individual company, but the entire industry and that industry's relationship with society and the efforts that others are making in trying to move the needle and truly improve the social performance uh, of the company sorry of the industry so yeah we work with others we work with agribusiness really trying to get more into circular economy cpg international development but definitely a lot of mining
0: it seems to me there's a kind of parallel you could probably draw between two broad different philosophies to responsible investing and impact investing hey i'm going Mm -hmm. to abstain entirely and apply negative screens because I don't want any involvement in these industries or I'm going to invest and be an active shareholder and so it seems like from a career perspective you're choosing I'm going to have a seat at the table because I want to influence the outcomes Mm -hmm. and by me just leaving the industry and not refusing to work in it Mm -hmm. doesn't allow me to affect any change is that it do you think about it from that perspective
1: yeah 100% so you know Back in undergrad, I was this big social justice advocate, the girl at the front of the crowd with the megaphone, uh, big tree hugger, hippie. I was studying international development and political science. I'm like, over my dead body, would I go work for an industry like that? You know, that's who I was. And and the opportunity came as I was trying to get more involved in international development work. At the beginning of my career, the opportunity came to join a a junior manganese and American company in West Africa. And I had to have a big conversation with myself. Can I sell? Is that not what I am doing? And the point that I got to Mm, was, if it's not someone who has moral qualms about that decision, who's willing to take on the challenge of trying to make things better in an industry with a poor social legacy, then who will do it? And then how will things ever change? And that's only become more clear for me in my path as the years go on, every time that I'm sucked back into the mining industry. You know, a lot of folks don't realize when you think about our high-tech, low-carbon future and how much brighter the world could be, that future is directly dependent on a lot more mining. Specifically, there's some great work that's been done by the World Bank to try to map this out and bring public awareness. 500 times more mining, particularly of things like lithium and and graphite and and cobalt, to meet the clean energy um, transition demands by 2050. I said, we have got to find a way to do mining better. Because if we're degrading our environment and polluting and causing immense irreparable harm to communities along the way, then that transition's a fail.
2: It sounds, and this was going to be one of my questions, so
0: we can dive into it here. It sounds like your perspective and and maybe the, just the cold reality is it's not only your perspective, but probably this sounds like it's backed up by some evidence that it's just (laughs) simply not possible for us to just stop mining and extract ourselves. Realistically, like the end game here requires us to keep mining. Mm -hmm. And so the thought is, (laughs) then let's do that as responsibly and sustainably as, as possible. Yeah,
1: exactly. You could have a 100% circular economy tomorrow and you still wouldn't be able to stop raw extraction. That's the unfortunate reality, right? Whether you like Mm -hmm. mining or not, that doesn't really matter. The point is that it's part of our lives, our everyday lives, all of us. Anywhere from 40 to 80% of the objects and, and products that you use in your daily life couldn't exist without mining. Our ability to have Mm -hmm. this phone call, for example, that our ability to have these conversations through the internet, through cell phones, electricity—like you name it—requires mining, and and the rate at which the human race is growing.
2: No, No, go ahead. Sorry,
1: I was going to say. And the rate at which the human race continues to grow is such that demand too, for all sorts of raw materials continues to grow. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: Do you have a sense for, and if you don't, that's n- no worries. Do you have a sense for these are the things that we need to mine for that are the hardest to replace, that are the least likely, is it minerals? Because of some of those minerals like lithium and some of the others <laughs> you mentioned, like <laughs> We, we don't have a way to replicate those. So, even if we get yeah, solar at yeah. scale, we can replace a lot of our energy needs. But so, w- what mm-hmm. things are the hard? Do you think are going to be the last or the hardest to replace? Do
2: you have a sense for that? And if you don't, let's.
1: I don't have as much of a sense as I would like to, but certainly a lot of the ones folks are starting to talk about. And I think Elon Musk and Tesla was probably one of the first already a number of years ago starting to try to draw attention to this. Lithium's a big one. Cobalt's a big one. One of the most interesting ones is rare earth metals right so it's no coincidence that apple right now in your iphone your your taptic engine for example in your iphone their rare earth metals are already 100 percent circular in-house because they know the reserves are are limited they're located in in certain areas there's a lot of uh, geopolitical instability that's going to influence uh, the future of mineral resource development and by extension is going to influence our ability to meet demand in a number of industries that are pretty important to 7 billion people's daily lives.
2: And that, and that the, it's already circular because they're
0: extracting the rare earth minerals from the old phones yeah, so, and, and back um, the back of the is that.
1: Yeah. So Apple's newest. A uh, robot, a uh, disassembly robot, Dave, uh, specifically does this. Oh, just uh, yeah. <laughs> My name, <is> <laughs> <That's> name, right? <laughs> awesome. uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so I think it's pretty cool. They're, I feel like they're ahead of the game. They're definitely uh, setting the example for many others, not just in their own industry. Yeah, because rare earths are going to be hard to get your hand on. Hands on. Sorry. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. You started to
0: talk about your journey. I would love for you to unpack Ooh. a little bit more. So you had this series, tree hugging hippie as, <laughs> as a youth, studying. Yeah. You're self described. I'm not calling you that. Huh? And you decided to. It was out of school that you took a job, basically in the mining industry, and you had this sort of yeah. existential crisis over whether to to take that job, and that led you to where it was. That- I
1: was supposed to be in Mali, but the uh, there was a coup d'état, and a, the Tuareg rebellion was starting, and I was going to be in Burkina for three weeks. And then I was moving to Bamako in Mali, and literally from when I arrived in Burkina, it all fell apart up in Mali. And so I never actually got to move there, and I ended up in Burkina, fell in love with Burkina, and stayed for the next five years.
0: And was that, were you working for a mining company? Were you doing consulting work?
1: Yeah, so that first job, I was working for a mining company. I then, I still wasn't sold on the mining thing. So I moved to the south of Burkina and I was running this social enterprise with a, a, a Dutch guy. And it was a circular agri-food thing, so trying to bring together renewable energy, community resilience, particularly around food security, and there's a lot of agricultural soil fertility type challenges that a, that a lot of agricultural regions around the world have been experiencing. Creating energy islands essentially through biogas and biodiesel models. I then did some more consulting within the mining industry, and one of my clients invited me in-house. The company was called Rocks Gold. and I was with them until 2016 and they actually that's how i got to bay street i moved with them and that's where i had a next big realization the first one was around we truly can leverage business uh to have a social impact corporate social responsibility was this term that they had taught us in international development studies and it had been presented as this greenwashing thing that the business world does and Mm -hmm. never like I got that that's what it mostly was, but it never sat well with me. Like that, that didn't need to be what it was always going to be. Like just because it was greenwashing didn't mm. mean it wasn't real potential to do something better. And so that was my first realization. Mm. And indeed within the mining industry and the work I was doing in Burkina, I 100% lived that. It was incredible. It led an absolute fire in me. Um, and so the next realization was when I moved to Bay Street was if I really wanted to have an impact, truly at scale, the boardroom was where it was going to happen. And so I had to learn the language of the Bay Street Rollers. And the best way to do that was to go to business school. And so that's what led me to go do my MBA. And I looked for the most international Entrepreneurial, out of the ordinary kind of business school program that I could find, knowing that I was not a classic candidate and I ended up at Instituto de Empresa in Madrid, had an amazing experience. And I turned around and got sucked back into the mining industry to to do more. As I said, it keeps calling me back
0: How many languages do you speak?
1: A couple. I speak English, French. my um, Spanish is probably intermediate. Dutch was my mother's. Uh, first language. So I spoke Dutch before I spoke English. I learned English when I was like five and I had to start going to school. My Arabic is awful. I actually I grew up in Saudi Arabia. My parents raised me there. And I know enough to tell you I don't speak Arabic. <laughs> I can't get by in the suit. <laughs> That's about it. I'm ashamed okay. to say. Yeah.
0: How long how how old were you when you left Saudi Arabia?
1: Sixteen. It really was my whole childhood. And it was a very international environment. I had every year my best friend was from a different country in the world. And that meant growing up with a really keen intercultural skill set. It also meant growing up with an immense understanding of the state of inequality in the world, both from my friends and also just being in a resource-rich nation where I saw both great wealth and great inequality. And I always think back to mm-hmm. that when I wonder, how did this seed get planted? Like, why have I always wanted to help people? Why do I always feel so called to social justice issues and, and particularly around social inequality on a global scale? And I think a lot of that was born of me, my friend groups as a young girl in that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So you left uh, Saudi in, when you are 16, so you have time to come back. <laughs> Where were you? Yeah. Do you move to Canada from there? So yeah. you, we talked yeah. about this for you time just to like Late mm-hmm. high school, start a new country, a new so place we've never hard. been before. Oh my
1: goodness, the culture shock yeah. was brutal. All,
2: yeah, <laughs> and also yeah. just
1: like a very narrow-minded worldview. I think that a lot of um, teenagers had, and the kind of issues that they were interested in, the things they knew about, and that they cared about, it was very hard for me to get used to.
2: Yeah, I can,
0: I can imagine. I mean, none of the cultural references, right? All the cultural references mm-hmm. go over your head, and 100%. you're the weird girl from Saudi Arabia who eats different foods and wears different clothes. I'm sure this was one of the overlaps with my wife's upbringing as well. Yeah, she had talked about how hard that was, and I could it, it feels like Mean Girls, the movie.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Kids are yeah. cruel. Cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're awful. And I'm like, I, I was guilty of it too as a kid. And yeah, they're awful. They're wonderful too. <laughs> <laughs> Cynical, I know kids are wonderful, but I can be awful. Okay. You left Burkina. Oh, hey, one more question. What's your yeah. favorite thing about Burkina Faso? You, you mentioned you fell in love with it.
1: Oh, my gosh. One thing? I'm only allowed to choose one I, thing.
0: Three things. Anything that comes to mind. What are your favorite things about Burkina? And I actually just don't know much about it.
1: The people, the food. So Burkina Faso is the land of upright men. And when I say the people, uh, there's a lot of layers to that. But I found them to be very warm, very hospitable, friendly, life-loving. And one of the most impressive things about Burkina Faso is it's a nation that has so much uh, ethnic diversity and yet has largely, in modern history, retained a very peaceful social fabric, which is unusual on the continent. And so they have over 60 different languages, and they have two main local Mm -hmm. languages, one in the north, one in the south, and they learned a bit of both to get by there. And folks really appreciate that. There's a lot of animist culture as well, or animist spirituality, which is fascinating. If you are a nerd for anything anthropological Mm -hmm. or sociological, like, It was just a dream for me. Like I get paid to learn this stuff Mm. about culture and spirituality and different belief systems and different social ways of organizing. And it was just so cool for me as a young woman like in my early twenties, getting to do that day in day out. And then on the food front, things like the the mangoes, they have over 20 different species of mangoes. So tasty. Oh,
2: wow.
0: My (laughs) daughters would be in heaven there.
1: (laughs) Oh, I was. Oh, that's
0: amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I bet. (laughs) Cool. Okay. So you went and done your MBA in Madrid and you come Mm -hmm. out of there and what happens?
1: I then moved to Vancouver with a a larger company in the mining industry called Tech Resources. So that was interesting to me because they're a diversified company, but I was particularly interested in the fact that they work in base metals and they also work all over the world. So it was a way for me to broaden my experience also beyond Africa. And also have a look at how do we do things here in our own backyard? It's a Canadian company, first and foremost. so They have a lot of Canadian assets. And that was pretty neat. But I got to a point where I was feeling called to apply more of the entrepreneurial skills from the MBA and also find ways to cross-pollinate a lot around the the different megatrends that I was becoming more aware of through that MBA experience. Uh, And so I decided I could do what I'm doing within this company on my own. No, and it's advisory services, and it's hands-on consulting, and it's thought leadership, and it's thinking about different ways that we can address old problems that everyone keeps struggling with. And, and so that's what led me to launch Impact Advisory. And then at the same time, after I left tech, I had the opportunity to spend some time with a, a young venture capital firm here in Vancouver. Called Active Impact Investments, which I think you're Mm -hmm. familiar with. Awesome team. Uh, They're focused on early stage climate tech. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. And uh, so that's always been really interesting.
0: Episode six or seven.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't Uh, know that. Yeah, I think he was on on episode six or seven. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, yeah. don't go back and listen to the early episodes. The, <laughs> the, the podcast, I think, has gotten better over the years, over the
1: times. Yeah, anyway. yeah so I had the opportunity yeah, to spend some time it. with Active Impact. And that was great for me because I have found the climate tech stuff so interesting. I mentioned doing the circular agri-food, renewable energy thing there briefly in Burkina. So, the energy piece has been a long-standing thing for me, technology is something that I've become increasingly interested in again through the MBA experience. My time with Active Impact really validated for me my own calling within mining and there's this realization on how this again this high-tech, low-carbon future that everyone's so excited about and we're seeing the whole uh, clean tech 2.0 thing take off now and how many people in that space are actually paying attention to the raw materials required for those technologies that are gonna get there, right? And the industries, namely mining, that provide those raw materials struggle immensely with innovation. There's virtually no venturing. There's very little entrepreneurship beyond the junior mining space. That's a serious problem. that's a bottleneck in the value chain. And then, of course, there's challenges with talent attraction. It's a very unsexy industry. There's challenges with collaborating, macro level social performance, social acceptability. So I guess I got to this point where I'm like, damn, the collective, brighter future of humanity cannot afford for this status quo to endure. So that's a big part of my
2: calling its impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you think about that, and it sounds like it's you know challenging
0: at times when you're oh, yeah. in and around that environment and that industry. And a lot of the times, where I imagine folks are, it's a struggle sometimes to get buy-in and
2: mm-hmm.
0: really commitment to true change. And so it wears on you. And so sure. I imagine taking care of your own kind of mental <laughs> health through that
2: sure. process
0: is is challenging, right? In the same way that if you go work in a challenging environment where there's geopolitical instability or your physical security is at risk and you're, you know, it's exhausting Mm -hmm. to be, you know, constantly under pressure and that pressure can look like, and anxiety and stress can come from different, different ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also that feeling of, am I being left behind by being part of an industry that always feels like it's at the back of the pack when compared with others in a world that is Mm so rapidly changing, we live in exponential time. What does that reality mean? If, if an industry is not innovative, is not agile, is not nimble, is not cross-pollinating and collaborating sufficiently, and yet is a supplier of absolutely essential raw materials for virtually everything else around it. Sometimes yeah, like maybe. sometimes, I worry, yeah, I, really I get very called by that, but at the same time I worry, am I part of this industry that, like, do I personally get left behind by not having pivoted my life? Mm-hmm. And, into something that is more directly focused on quick impact, and, and again, being agile and harnessing the Industry 4.0. Like we live in a very technological era now, too. And mm-hmm. yes, of course, digital transformation is coming through mining, and there's a lot of exciting opportunities that come with that. Yet, I still feel that we're behind as an industry. What do you then
0: see as what are the biggest challenges that that are facing the mining industry? Like what aspects of, of like where it's both the biggest challenges and I guess the biggest areas for improvement and opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Well, a lot of the things I already mentioned there around collaboration. Transparency is the big one. So let's unpack those
0: a little bit. Let's talk about collaboration. Like what, Mm -hmm. where is there opportunities to collaborate and what impact does that have on the industry?
1: It's siloed both internally and externally. So a few levels When you go inside virtually any company, you're going to find a lot of silos. I know that's not unique to mining, but it is a problem. There's not a lot of collaboration between mining companies, particularly not collaboration where anyone's got real skin in the game. So you'll find like these loose collaborations, consortiums, where folks will join and put a nice label on it and call it, I don't know, like an innovation hub or something like that. But like, where are the dollars? So you can only go so far if you're not going to resource the thing. And you're seeing duplicative Mm -hmm. efforts on the R&D that is happening because everyone's competing. And so collaboration is not incentivized. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I would say is more particular to mining because we don't see it so much in other industries, even other extractors. Look at oil and gas. like You don't see that problem in such a pronounced way in oil and gas, but they're also on a particular journey where the world is rapidly moving away from fossil fuels. You're seeing oil and gas have to rebrand as energy. And that means You're facing a collective existential threat as an industry, and I think that is incentivizing you to work a bit more together. Mining's not quite at that point, although I wouldn't be surprised that we do get there shortly. We may well even see the the former industry coming into mining. We may well see the oil and gas companies that are becoming energy companies that are starting to realize, oh, wait like there's some issues with our raw material sourcing maybe we move downstream Mm. and start to see degrees of vertical integration that the mining industry is not prepared for anyway i digress go ahead No, I'm cutting you off. I was going to go back to what are some of the other challenges. Uh, So the social acceptability thing is huge. Mining has struggled for a long time with a very poor social and environmental legacy, and great gains have been made, great improvements have been made for sure. But problems still occur, as I said earlier, every day. So young people don't want to be part of this industry because they don't trust it. They don't see it as making the world a better place. They feel disconnected from the product of the industry because it's not a consumer-facing industry. And those are all serious problems around, you know, how do we get the bright minds of tomorrow to want to work on this stuff? Because the challenges are pretty profound and you know, the leadership are aging out. So That's a pretty big problem. And then speaking perhaps more specifically to some of the subjects that you cover on this podcast around capital, like the capital in mining is, well, one, it's running out because more and more people are concerned they about ESG factors, for sure. The capital that is there is not demanding change in a way that is proportionate to the kind of existential, planetary, and social justice challenges we are facing as a society. There's no impact investing, right? So we have disproportionate, I put that, very insufficient amount of positive social impact that is happening in this industry. We retain business models that are still largely Neocolonial, I had one guest on my podcast recently, I really loved the way he put it. He said, it's largely still a beads and trinkets or trinkets and beads mentality in terms of how you share the benefits of the resource development. that's a very serious problem because that's also contributing to things like resource nationalism. It's contributing to broader lessening of the social acceptability of this industry. And yet we live in a time where we're all so connected. We live in a globalized world. The phone that you use or the computer that you use, the microphone that you use today has been made in another nation, has been um, made by different materials that came from all over the world also in turn. So we're all very interdependent. So we can't really, I think again, afford to, to maintain these kinds of business models. We're in need of a change. And that doesn't happen when There's no capital that is preoccupied with social and environmental impact in the space. Impacting investing is not interested in mining. Mining is not interested in impact investing. And I see that as a problem and a huge opportunity that I would, you know love to put more of my life energy into. There's so much talk about ESG, and I see a lot of conflation. Conflating ESG with impact investing in, in the industry and related to the opportunity is helping folks understand that, yes, ESG is changing finance, and you guys are all feeling that. But impact investing, finances change. And that's what really is needed. So for me, one of the juiciest challenges. For the mining industry and for our relationship as a society with natural resource development, can we bring real impact investing to this industry? And what could that look like? You know does it does it necessarily mean? In the first instance, I think it might be scary to approach an impact investing firm and be like, hey, do you want to invest in a mining company? That might be tough, but there are alternatives. Could there be impact investing models that exist alongside in partnership with a traditional mining company that works on entrepreneurial ecosystems in different parts of the world? Or could you be investing in more circular ventures? Right? There's this really neat one. Shoot, I forget the name now. Oh, shoot. You can look it up after in in the show notes. But what's the... Yeah. So there's this neat company, mm. uh, Summit Nanotech out of Alberta. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they are basically no. finding ways to extract lithium from old oil wells. And so that's almost like a waste of value type mm. model. And that kind of innovation mm. doesn't happen on its own. A lot of cool ideas that address challenges in the mining industry from what I understand are stuck in the R&D phase. Mm. Like we need capital that is interested in improving environmental and social uh, performance in a number of different areas related very specifically to how mining does its business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that my mind went there originally was what are the technologies or approaches that we can invest in that make mining more responsible or sustainable or potentially even regenerative. But but, uh, do you think there are opportunities as well for like directly financing mining done by new firms that are getting started with more sustainable approaches that need access to financing that find it difficult? Or are there, is there, I I wonder if there is even a supply of those types of (laughs) companies out there?
1: That's a very good question. Yes, I think it's an opportunity. Yes, I want to see more of it. Is there a supply? I'm not so sure. Mm. I'm not so sure. I think there's folks that would like to do that there. I think it's hard to think about how I think there's a a great need for a lot more innovation to get, particularly around technology, to get it where it needs to be so that you actually can present a business model that from the get go uh, has an acceptable environmental social governance uh, profile right there's some really neat stuff going on for example there's one company Inspire Resources that exists for this idea that we could harness impact investing and empower communities to develop small scale low environmental footprint mineral resource development in their own backyard that exists in service to socioeconomic development I think that's really cool as yeah. an idea. It's very far from the status quo and finding capital and finding opportunities to pilot ideas like that right. is proving challenging.
2: Yeah. And so I love what you're, the angle you took earlier. And if I were going to like, my knee-jerk
0: reaction to like the marketing pitch here <laughs> is exactly the point you are making, which is the world is, everyone's focused on what's shiny and new. Hmm and Mm -hmm. quick for their impact investment dollars because it's exciting and it's innovative and the world's very focused on tech and tech is wonderful and needs to be invested in and that's great. But then if no one is focused on how do we take these old legacy industries and make them better because we can't do without them, (laughs) that seems to me like a really highly impactful um, opportunity precisely because there's so few people willing to do that and who are looking at that because it's not shiny. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think it would have to be patient and it would have to be hands
0: on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and in what way hands on?
1: Uh, So, for example, even opportunities around cross pollination and, and collaboration, let's say. If you are an older entity existing in the mining ecosystem, you don't necessarily have the broader network and relationships and even ways of thinking from other industries. So, could that be the sort of thing that an impact investment? entity could bring along. Could you bring, say, whether it's an old mining company or a new mining company, whether it's large, whether it's small, but could you bring those folks into the fold where they're seeing other ways of thinking, other kinds of business models from different industries, different Hmm. ecosystems? Just being in community where folks think a little differently, where folks have different life experiences, you never know what kind of new ideas can be birthed when we work together. And that's, what, you know, part of this challenge with mining yeah. of, of not collaborating, of not cross-pollinating, of not being transparent. If we're not out there saying ABC is a challenge for us, then how are we ever gonna get new ideas and new blood to try to tackle those challenges?
2: Yeah, I appreciate the choir. I think it's DG 17 is the unsung hero <laughs> This doesn't get talked about
0: enough. And I, so those are really great examples. I'm surprised. Maybe you're not, but why is it like, it seems to me that the energy companies and the oil in particular are doing a good job of, and I'm cynical of it in a lot of cases, but oh, we want to be the ones to to bet. So like we created all the problem and now we want to be the ones to benefit from the solution. We're going to jump out in front of this and we want to be seen, at least seen to be, whether they're actually doing stuff. I'm not an expert in that space and we can talk about that as a separate discussion, but they at least want to be seen to be coming up with the solution and kind of yeah. putting at least marketing dollars behind these yeah. new, um, alternative energies. yeah. And so it wasn't the mind like, why aren't there large miners who, who say that and take that angle, at least want to jump out on that. Did you have a sense?
1: You mean from an energy perspective?
0: No, from a, Hey, we are traditional ways of mining have created a lot of these problems and yeah. we want to be seen to be the miner who's really investing the dollars into doing this a lot new innovative ways to do this because we can't yep. like the the angle would be we can't do without it
2: <laughs>
1: and we
0: want to be the ones to lead the change and the yep. evolution of what mining looks like
1: I honestly think a lot of it goes back to to the capital what money talks who are your shareholders what are their drivers what are they interested in you no know, I would love to see. I would love to see for the long-term stock exchange, for example. I would love to mm-hmm. see what does life look like for a mining company on the LTSC. Like mm-hmm. there, I think you would actually start to see change because if your investor base actually cares about that long game stuff, then you're being incentivized. But so long as those structures are in place that are short-term, short-term, and that's not unique to mining. You know, mm-hmm. that is, that's. Cool. That's a broader systems challenge in in how capital operates. (laughs) There's far too much impatient short-term capital still. And yes, change is happening, but I don't think it's enough and I don't think it's fast enough. And I I don't think that there's enough of that change necessarily um, in the mining space. And and don't get me wrong, there are some big companies that are doing good things. Those that are large enough, that, that are doing well enough, that have the resources to do, they absolutely are. But that's not an industry-wide thing. I'd love to see them come together. For example, you know, could you get the the Anglo's yeah. and the BHPs and the Rio Tintos and the Barracks, and could you get these folks to come together and and work together on what are common challenges?
2: Yeah, to me, it, it strikes me that
0: the that's one of the downsides of negative screening and divestment. If you have it certain are- industries that are particularly Where people feel this sort of moral objection to participating in Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: certain (laughs) industries have a greater extent of divestment than shareholder activism. You end up with an industry full of companies where they're only funded by investors who don't care about those issues and aren't at the table asking for those things.
1: Yeah, and that's the risk. And you're perpetuating the race to the bottom with that. So you actually worsen things by divesting. And the same conversation is happening with oil and gas. Mining's on the periphery of that, but is certainly experiencing it too. I think it's very dangerous for the future of humanity to be seeing that much divestment. And it's also, you can threaten an industry or a company with divestment, but if you're not helping them to figure out how to reach whatever bar it is you have set, it feels really unfair. Right. It's like, you have to get to X mm. point or we're going to divest, but if that requires certain innovations, certain change, certain investments, certain amounts of time, whatever it is, that is impossible, possible, then you're presenting a really unfair ultimatum that really doesn't serve
2: anyone in the long term in the bigger picture. Yeah. What's the, your mind, what's the role, what, what?
0: So the role of regulators here is, is some of this stuff, policy change that's needed, just we're going to require this to happen. You need to be totally. implementing certain processes and procedures.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But with all due respect to regulators, they often tend to be behind the curve. You know, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> regulatory systems anywhere in the world. Uh, and then there's also there's a the creation of policy, but there's also the enforcement. You know, the implementation element and mining mm-hmm. is an industry that operates all over the world and in plenty of jurisdictions. Capacity, will, resources for actually enforcing aren't always present.
2: Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. I've um, long thought that financing is where the opportunity lies to really force change. And we've certainly seen that in recent years. For for example, the difference for me in being with a, a junior mining company that was funded by the International Finance Corporation, so they have their sustainability framework, performance standards, longstanding, highest bar for project financing and infrastructure and natural resource development, getting to develop a project within that framework was so different from so many of my peers in terms of environmental and social performance. A great legacy has been built on that project. And so going through that experience is what really led me to believe that's where the opportunity lies, the greatest opportunity to quickly bring change. But again, using the IFC example, they have advisory services in-house also. like They can work with you. They're not just going to set a bar, say they covenant environmental and social criteria and uh, requirements in an action plan when you get your project financing. But they don't just say, okay, now you're on your own to do it. If you guys need help, we will work with you through the advisory services branch to get there. Could we perhaps see mm-hmm. more other types of financing structures doing something like that? I don't know. What do you think? Cause like mm-hmm. you have a finance mm-hmm. background. I don't No, you know, I, I, I get, this could be a very naive suggestion.
0: No, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. My background is more in public uh, markets than it is in private and, and vary from a portfolio construction standpoint sure. rather than working with individual companies and shareholder activism. But from what I've I've learned about that, and that just intellectually makes a lot of sense to me, sounds very pragmatic. So yeah, I'm still circling around this idea of that marketing message going out around like impact investing and mining? question mark And yeah, of course, here's why it's needed, right? Like here's the opportunity for you to make a really big impact and like outlining some of that stuff and a lot of the stuff you've mentioned throughout this podcast. And then and by the way, it's precisely because nobody's you know doing this, that you it can have a, a particularly big impact and, and that mm-hmm. idea of like policy being potentially, you know, ham- like policy and regulatory change being hampered by the fractured geographical displacement of where mining occurs and the countries mm-hmm. in which it occurs having weak regulatory, you know, weaker in, in some cases, I don't want to generalize, mm-hmm. but in some cases, weaker regulatory enforcement and monitoring, like that the capital may be the if I were going to generate like in general, if I were going to describe what has more impact as a policy or, or investment, I think a lot of times policy can, because you can just stroke up a pen, make yeah. massive change, yes. but in, not in all cases. And this feels like potentially one of them where maybe capital is usually even more impactful. I don't want to assert that, but the, the question gets raised anyway. Yeah. yeah.
1: Certainly. Certainly.
0: Do you have any, so actually going backwards a little bit, are there certain Things that are being mined that are the most damaging to the planet, if people were going to be like, hey, where should I focus within mining?
1: Yeah, that question makes me think of a great article that I just saw on the conversation a couple of weeks back about copper. And it was raising, trying to raise public awareness around the community impacts of copper mining that are coming up, that will be coming. Copper is a super interesting one because. So take the European Union, for example, we're here in North America, Europe consistently seems to be ahead of the game when it comes to anything environmental social and innovation around those a lot of the copper in europe is already totally circular you know copper is a great example of you could go totally circular tomorrow and you would still need a ton more raw extraction if you google copper mining Hmm. it's pretty it's ugly like visually and if you look at where deposits are Hmm. I'll send you the link for the, for this article. It's tough. We sure, I'm going to link to it, it, it in the show notes. use Another really interesting one, I find it, is cobalt. And that's one of the earlier ones folks know about. A lot of cobalt is in the DRC. And there's a lot of really challenging human rights implications with cobalt mining as it stands today. So much mm-hmm. so that the... London Metal Exchange I believe a couple years back even contemplated just removing it all together because it was just so difficult to consider retaining like liability for the the environmental and social per- performance of that particular product and and thankfully that did not happen because what happens if you were to contemplate that in the same ways you were highlighting with divestment is it just gets darker Right, it just gets driven further underground, and more suffering happens when you do that. So, I think twenty or so mm-hmm. NGOs banded together and said, "Please don't do this. Let's work together, and we can improve the state of, of cobalt mining. That we can improve, particularly the social impacts." Yeah, that's a big one.
2: This may not
0: be possible to answer, so feel free to say so. But what do you? Where do you think? The bigger impact lies in mining, the social or the environmental impact in terms of improvements that could be? I
1: think it's a challenging thing to answer because I guess it depends what you mean by impact. Sure. Environmental impacts are almost easier in the sense that you can quantify them easily. There's a lot of technological innovation that can be contemplated and pursued to solve the problems that that we still have on the environmental front and this is also not unique to mining actually you could say this about almost any industry the s in esg is the hardest because how do you how do you quantify human elements like humans are so much more complex than mere numbers so too is social impact as a concept and so if you ask me as someone who's worked a bit in both but mostly on the social why my calling is so heavy on the social. I studied EnviroSci for a while. I get pulled to the social because I find it more difficult. I find it more complex. Mm -hmm. But if we can focus on the S, I think that the E follows, basically. I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of the E challenges that we have in the world come down to human behavior. And not just human behavior, but Say, for example, artisanal and small-scale mining, millions of people around the world depend on this, and there's a juicy impact investing opportunity. If you really want to attack poverty-driven, environmentally destructive activities at the bottom of the pyramid, look at artisanal and small-scale mining, particularly gold mining. Uh, And we've really seen that during the COVID period. Gold did well. Look at the Amazon especially. That's just heartbreaking what's going on over there. People are just trying to put food on the table and a roof over their families' heads. If we can attack the systemic issues that are causing people to engage in those activities, what are the causes of poverty? What are the causes of inequality? We'd already be doing a lot. And we can work with industry
2: to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I asked that question as someone who fully believes that the E and the
0: S are inextricably intertwined and you don't have one without the other. So, is it, it, yeah. yeah, I love your response. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say wondering. uh there's one book, it's a hard read that I like to recommend to folks it is Collapse by Jared Diamond. Uh he oh. talks about all the times throughout human history that, you know, we we as humans have committed ecocide, and essentially paints a picture of how we're doing it on an unparalleled level. It's a pretty dark book, but it's a great read mm. in helping folks understand the way environmental and social are um, intrinsically linked.
0: That's the Guns, Germs, and Steel author, isn't it? Sure, yes, it time. is. Yeah,
1: yeah, same guy.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Great. Thanks for the recommendation. I'll put that in the show <laughs> notes as well. So at, la- at last, oh, well, not the last question, but we're conscious of where we're at in time. What for those people who are real interested in technology, which it feels like most impact investors are these days, are there exciting innovation or technological opportunities that you think would, where it's really needed? Hey, we need new technologies to better assess the environmental impact of this mining, or we need new technologies to be able to connect with each other or relate, I don't know, communicate with the communities. I don't know if that even makes sense, but you know what I'm saying? There's problems that technology can solve that are like fertile ah, ground for-
1: Social and environmental. Investors. I think I'm poorly positioned to speak to the highly technical environmental challenges. Sure. I, can, yeah. I can say that we have entities like the Canada Mining Innovation Council at the Global Mining Guidelines. There, there are groups of passionate innovator individuals that are involved in these kinds of initiatives, where if you brought an impact investor in, you could have some really neat conversations. Also, the Development Partner Institute, another one to recommend, but I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Oh, yes. I was gonna you asked about yeah. community also. There's a couple neat things around that. So speaking to the challenge of trust, I believe that transparency is key to fostering. fostering trust. And so what are technologies that we could contemplate that would allow public entities, whether it's a local community, a host government, whether it be an investor or the teenager in the Fridays for Future protests, like the general public to really see inside your operation. And if you've got nothing to hide then why wouldn't you contemplate a technology like that? The fact that you wouldn't use technology like that Mm -hmm. suggests to the world that there is something to not trust you about. And I think that that's the big message that Mm -hmm. I try to get through to to mining. It's an opaque industry. And rightfully, like, they often... They're not a loved industry and they're used to not being loved. And so being opaque is also just part of protecting themselves from being hated on. But specifically speaking about technologies for community, I wanted to mention the Socioeconomic Transparency Initiative. There's a woman named Tracy Cooper in uh, South Africa who's developed this really neat platform that is specifically designed to, through transparency, foster information, sharing opportunities for partnership between mining companies, other businesses, communities, host governments, to work in more collaborative fashion where everyone gets access to the same information around driving sustainable development, partnerships, goals, community development plans, but just working together. It's really neat. It's early stages, yeah. But that's the sort of thing that, you know, they're looking for partners. They're looking for pilots. And it's it can be challenging. If you live kind of with one foot in social impact and one foot in the mining industry, the miners think you're a You're a a tree hugger type that just wants them to turn into an NGO. Uh, And the social impact folks think they think you're working with the devil. (laughs) Mm -mm. I think that's a common challenge, common sentiment with folks who live in both worlds. But yes, there's a lot of technology. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot.
2: And and there's tons of
1: happening. But again, I think too much is happening inside companies. There's not enough working together. Yeah, I would just love to see a resourced, not a loose collaboration, but a really a resourced space for technological innovation that specifically speaks to the sustainability challenges, environmental and social, that the mining industry faces.
2: That would be hugely impactful. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a final question and then I want to talk we'll just I want to talk about a couple
0: of things before we leave. But on that note, what do you, wh- what do you see over the next, whatever it is, five, 10 years, so let's long-term, but not too, too long-term as like a realistic and what are you hopeful could happen practically speaking, where you'd feel really good about changes that you saw in the industry, said, Hey, we're seeing this sort of cultural shift and there's a you know, bigger, yeah. you know, commitments and whatever that is, are there regulatory changes, whatever it is, this is like a realistic, what the next five, 10 years could look like if we do things well.
1: Yeah, all of the above for starters. Okay. But what does a win look like five years from now, mm. ten years from now? Yeah, a practical I want, win. A really cool one for me is I want to see young people who really care about a brighter future for their planet choosing a mining company over a Google mm. or a Tesla, for example. Interesting. That Love. you are hot enough, you are future focused, you are innovative, you are having an awesome impact on the world. You have a true social purpose as a company, as an industry. Because right now, this industry is not on the radar of, you know, the, the brightest minds of mm. tomorrow when they're graduating. That for me would be a really awesome KPI. That one. Right? Especially
0: because I feel like that's what's happened to, to, to the ag industry, which is like yeah. it was boring and nobody wanted to go into ag and now ag tech is all the rage. And that's wonderful. That's great. What well, we need? The same yes. thing could happen to mining. That's such yes. a brilliant.
1: Precisely. Yeah. One. For me, that'd be a huge one. Because that would reflect a variety of efforts internally that would show that you've not only made commitments, but you have probably put your money where your mouth is. You've changed business models, that there's tangible proof of impact because the kids are online these days. They'll know, they know if it's legit or not. They're reading your sustainability reports, but they're also looking at Mining Watch and you know, other NGOs. And so if it's authentic, then I think... That would be a really big part of that indicator and also that you're bringing in the newest ideas that innovation is happening within your industry for the kids that want to be part of the cool tech companies show that mining can be a cool tech company and there are there are a couple out there actually already so if you look at breakthrough energy ventures have made a couple neat investments recently that are on the periphery of mining and and that gives me hope because i think they're pretty cool
0: So we need to get you on like the university and college campus circuit, talking to
2: oh <laughs> yeah, to, like, totally. first year
0: students about here is cool. this is for you if you want sustainability. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. make your case for it. I think that'd be really amazing. Yeah, do well, a really good job with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. you. Well, you, that, you that was you kind can
0: of... you yeah, like motivating people. Like yeah, I find it infectious. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited about like the opportunities and
1: yeah, state. if you want a career with a purpose. You want to have an impact on this world. I can think of few industries where there's so much opportunity to do. You like a challenge. Mm -hmm. You want to wake up in the morning and feel like you've got something real to tackle with your life energy. This is the kind of industry you can do that with. And like, it's well- resourced
2: the speech (laughs)
0: right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, She'd
0: so be like, on your way back, she's done.
1: <laughs> that was actually, it's been a big driver for me around the podcast that I recently launched, Prospecting Purpose. Um, yeah, and this
0: is what yeah. I wanted to talk to you about. Because yeah. you were mentioning the woman from South Africa. She was on your podcast yeah. as a recent yeah. guest, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tracy Cooper was on. She was on my second episode, yeah. We've got a few others lined up. We haven't released them yet, but like a lot of really bright folks. This podcast is you know prospecting purpose. It was born of a lot of personal reflection in the last couple of years, basically since Larry Fink finally stood up and started talking about this notion of a social purpose company and uh, everyone's struggling. What does purpose mean? And then you get the layer of COVID where a lot of us been stuck at home and reflecting on life and what does purpose mean to me? personally. And so that sort of started to intersect with my understanding of these challenges we've been talking about in the mining industry. And I'd have these individual conversations that were really cool and gave me hope. And I thought to myself, gosh, if, if young folks could hear these, maybe they would find this industry interesting. And I was well, lamenting to a friend one night about it. And he's, said, why don't you just bring those conversations to the world? Why don't do something that feels a little different from the same old oh, industry webinar with the same, with all due respect, old white dudes patting each other on the back, where nothing really changes and the hard conversations aren't necessarily had because they're uncomfortable. And so I said, I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to do just that. And I'm going to bring in folks not to complain about everything that's wrong, but to talk about you know, where the opportunities lie. And what's already being done? You know, what are the bandwagons we can jump on? But we're not going to be alone in trying to fight the fight. And so I'm mean, always on the hunt for folks who are trying to change things in a positive way in the mining industry around its environmental and social performance with an abundance mindset.
2: Yeah. I love the name, by the way. So it's <laughs> Prospecting
0: Purpose. We're going to link it in the show notes as well. And I've listened to it. You've done a really great job. But just as for people who are listening, you've got right now on the website, like shorter condensed video versions of a little longer form episodes, which you're going to be publishing right. down the road. They haven't yet come out.
1: Yeah, in the coming months. Yeah, that's right.
0: Awesome. And the yeah. production quality is like really great. You've done a really great job with it. Thanks. Um, and that's part of
1: the uh, intention, too, about addressing a younger audience is we understand that the way the birth of the podcasting movement, it's sort of it brings people into a more intimate experience. It's a bit more casual. It's a bit more cool. It's not uppity. It's not mm. stuffy. But then the video element as well. People are inundated by information from so many different directions. People like to consume and learn through video content, particularly just video content that isn't too long. And so bringing a bunch of these Mm -hmm. ideas together, trends and issues that I wanted to highlight, that is how Prospecting Purpose was born. Trying to answer the question of what is your why? I think it's a really (laughs) valuable question.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. It's something that, which I also don't think is necessarily static and that you continue to discover and rediscover. And that evolves. It has for me, it's such a journey that yeah you know, I don't think we'll ever end. I think that's the beauty of self discovery and life here is that it, it's not there's no end. there's no finish line on that if you're doing it. Um yeah,
1: exactly. exactly
0: Yeah. okay so what's the also what's your simpact advisory what's the website?
1: www.sympact.ca ca.
0: And who should be reaching out to you? What types of organizations, firms, what types of problems is your Quick kind of elevator pitch if there's any kind of listening and that want to get in touch with you. What
1: what we say is if you are looking for hands-on personalized support, we are small but mighty by design on your ESG journey. If you are legitimately trying to have a positive impact through your sustainability performance as a company, give us a call. We'd love to work with you. If you're interested in more greenwashing, We're not super into it. We're probably not the right partner for you, but we, we apply a systems lens. We use social innovation techniques. So we're doing things in a way that is quite different from your standard sustainability firm, also specific in the mining industry. We have a lot of experience there. There's tons that can be transferred across industries, but specifically there we're also unique compared to other social performance, social management firms in the mining space for those same reasons. I think that the social innovation approach, the systems lens, the hands-on, the bringing in a breadth of experience, myself and my business partner, Rachel Decker, as well as our broader team and the associate network that we use is intentionally of many different personal and professional experiences that I think could be very valuable in breaking down silos and finding new ways of thinking to existing problems. And yeah. I think the biggest thing for us is if your intention is real and you're willing to put your money where your mouth is, that we'd really love to be part of your journey. It's
2: amazing. Love it. It's great. It's really
0: you. great. Description. And I love the focus on working with clients that are serious about this. That matches with the, <laughs> the person that I... Yeah, that the, the, I met on the initial call and have grown to really, I was going to say we should, I'd love to, let's have a, if you're up for, we talked about this for A clubhouse conversation on like impact investing opportunities in mining. I think that'd be really interesting. And
2: I think, I think there's probably lasts. a bunch of folks.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll connect after the podcast. And set that up. But anybody listening, you can keep an eye out for that. Kindwealth.club is where I share um, news about upcoming Clubhouse conversations. And the exciting news is they've got an Android app that is literally just dating right now. Yeah. They've got, they've sent it out to a very small group of uh, test users and they're hoping to roll that out pretty soon. That's going to open up the floodgates to people who can join the conversation, which I'm excited about. Listen, Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining. I love hearing your perspective. This is fun. It's
1: been a blast. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I learned a lot through the process. Your expertise in this space is your experiences are really, you know, it's just really insightful to learn from. So thank you.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate that. it's an amazing opportunity to be able to share because as you said in the beginning, it, a lot of folks don't feel great when you say mining and uh, gosh, there's so much amazing impact to be had.
2: I love it. That's awesome. With that, we'll uh, have
0: another conversation soon and thanks again. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes. And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also, I can now use Siri to listen to the podcast by saying, hey, Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast.
2: Here's the, the Impact Investing Podcast. Yeah, just like that. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast.